Hey everybody, and welcome to That Will Never Work. My guest in this week's show has an intriguing question. Can a founder work just six months of the year and still have a successful business? Well, Frightmare, Matt Keen's UK-based scare attraction turns a great profit every year. But while the event itself is seasonal, he's realized he needs backroom staff year round. Can a work-life balance really extend to taking six full months of van life at a time? Or is it just a company culture disaster waiting to happen? Join me as we explore whether it's possible to have it all. Hi, I'm Mark Randolph, co-founder of Netflix and six other companies. Over the years, I've heard that will never work thousands of times, but I've learned there are things we all can do to increase the chances that they will. So join me for That Will Never Work. Hi, Matt. Welcome to That Will Never Work. Um, I'm excited to, uh, to chat with you because in some ways, I think you're kind of living the dream life, but rather than me explaining what that is, I think I'm going to let you tell everybody what I'm talking about. So why don't you give me a sense of uh, what your business is, uh, how it's going, and then maybe you could kind of gracefully segue into whatever it is you want to uh, talk about today. Yeah, of course. So uh, reference to the dream life. Uh, I'm currently sat in the foothills of the French Alps in uh, an RV as you guys like to call them, a motorhome. Um, I've spent the last three months skiing all around Europe. Um, I've been as far as Macedonia, North Macedonia, way in the east and everywhere in between here and there. So I'm having a great time. Now, what's kind of I'm hoping to allow me to do that is my business called Frightmare, uh, which is a Halloween festival which you'll be very accustomed to in the US, but uh, essentially we fill a building or a venue space with multiple haunted houses uh, and put lots of audience members through uh, with a couple of hundred actors and try and scare the crap out of people, really. That's, uh, that's what I do for a living. <laughs> well, it sounds like you do it for a living, but do you do it for a living full time? I mean, you're in an RV. You're uh, yeah. traveling around Europe skiing. Well, that's what I'm uh, kind of coming to ask you for advice about. So up until now, I've been working in a full-time family business. Uh, the opportunity has arisen for me to take this Halloween brand uh, out solo. Uh, and I need to determine uh, whether I can make it work on a I guess, part-time basis, as it were, in that I know the revenue it generates is sufficient enough to sustain my lifestyle. Um, but how does that impact the culture of the business? So before we jump into with a specific question, I think you're asking, um, which is about how is it possible to kind of have it all? Uh, let me get a bit better of a sense about the business. So when you referred to you've been in a family business, was... Um, was Frightmare the family business or were you in something uh, completely different and this was a sideline? So it was, <laughs> my dad's a fantastic human, uh, always got the next big idea. Uh, we are from a farming background, which was tra traditional farming until the early 80s. Um, he's, he came to the States and a lot of this evolves 
um, involves him coming to the States, actually, and, and picking up ideas from there. So he came there in the early 80s and saw kind of the market stands, the roadside shops popping up for fruit and veg growers to sell their wares directly to, cons- to the consumer. And he set up a, a farm shop in the UK, which was probably one of the first in the UK at the time. And everything off of the back of that has really stemmed us to driving customers into that farm shop. Um, and generally that happens because of year-round events and seasonal events. And so the Frightmare brand was kind of a spin-off from that. So, so in other words, when the corn is the- growing, you have the corn maze. And in the spring, you go, let's do the Easter, decorate the, the chick eggs and in other words, basically, this is a this is a man who knows how to promote ways to get people to come to the farm stand and scaring the crap out of them, as you put it, was that was the fall. Uh, that was the fall focus. But I'm yeah, gathering sure. that corn mazes and Easter egg hunts uh, didn't captivate you quite the way uh, scaring people did. And so did you you were drawn to let me guess making the fright mayor piece of it bigger and even more elaborate and it kind of took on a life of its own you've got it yeah exactly so i took over uh probably about 10 years ago and really grew it from there there was i can't even remember the exact numbers there was around a thousand people coming to it then um and it's grown now to in excess of fifteen thousand people over the course of a few nights so what's what what are the scary things that you do? I mean, do you have hire people to jump out and grab people's ankles or are there how, is is there a formula I guess for making something scary or is this just you indulging your crazy creativity? Uh, I guess it's a bit of both. Um the as I mentioned they're different attractions and so we try to target different people's phobias in different ways. So one of the attractions, for example, is based on Wonderland. Um, so it's all UV. Uh, you get a pair of glasses, which turns everything 3D. And then, yeah, within that, there's different actors um, <laughs> that are all dressed up as different characters. You've got the Mad Hatter and you've got a Twisted Alice and that sort of thing. Uh, we actually operate, and, and a large amount of the operators in the UK are operating no touching policy um, just because of legal issues and, and things like that. Um, yeah, but yeah, that's so scary that's, from a whole different perspective. <laughs> that's like yeah. it scares lawyers, so everyone gets scared exactly. when there's the touching exactly. part involved. Okay, so that this uh, does this something that truly sits fallow, or are there some people who are working on this uh, eleven and a half months a year? Well, my thought process never stops, um, and certainly there's been stuff I've been thinking about whilst I've been on this trip. Yes, this is going to be the kind of interesting transitionary period in that with the farm set up, I had uh, all the bells and whistles. We had a a HR department. We had people doing social media and all that sort of thing. Now, maintaining that is going to be difficult if we shut everything down for six months, say. Um, So, yeah, ideally I'd have, for the scale we're at at the moment, I'd need three team members to to really make it happen and then of course associated contractors when it comes closer to the time so i guess what i'm trying to understand is 
does it is this require you finding three other people who only work six months a year or is this basically saying i want all of you to work a full time job while i go off gallivanting well herein lies the conundrum i guess um so my this is the biggest part of it for me is how can i expect a team to still be working whilst i'm gallivanting as it were <laughs> um okay <laughs> however <laughs> and and equally if for six months a year people are laying fallow as it were um it's quite likely that i'm going to lose one or two every time and I, I don't i don't have that much hair left as it is i don't really need to be finding two more key team members uh every season as it were okay i i think i have a pretty good sense of what's going on here and uh so, so first of all i do have to commend you and i referred in the intro to the fact that you're living this dream life and uh, i think what you are aspiring to do is unbelievably cool um and i think who would not want to do that um and i have very specific um a way to relate to this because I, when I was um, running uh, one piece of marketing for this big software company, this is probably 25, 30 years ago, um, a, a woman who was running the other piece of marketing for this business, her and I would fantasize about this exact same thing all the time, uh, which is how can we set this up so that one of us is here all the time. One of us is here and the other one's not. And then we swap. And we were getting even getting down to trying to figure out, well, do we each work eight months a year? So we each have a one month overlap at each end to basically transition. So there's two of us, you know, we had this whole thing worked out. And of course it ended up being nothing but a fantasy. I also have these uh good friends it's a couple and they have a construction company uh and they have partners in the construction company who are another couple and they go six and six and they they also make this fantasy even more listen you've got you got an rv they have um a big 46 foot or 64 foot sailboat which is docked somewhere in the um, Mediterranean. And they take turns spending six months working in uh, in the town where I am. And then they, they swap and the other couple goes to the boat and they go back and forth every six months. And they did that for 20 plus years. So in other words, the model that um, you have in mind is not a... Um, unreasonable one at all really really hard um, to pull off by the fact that so few um, people manage to do it or at least manage to do it without everybody thinking you're just a bum um, and you know the working part is not serious that you're really doing that other version where basically you go and work on the oil rigs for uh, three months um, make enough money where you can not work the other nine months, which is also legitimate. But let's come back to your um, your particular scenario. Um, 
the first thing is I would be looking at is, is there a way for me to make this work um, structurally? And I was trying to dig in to try and understand this before. So I'm going to go back to it a little bit. If, could you, could the business run with only six months worth of attention? Meaning, is it possible to say, no, my social media person only works six months. My, whoever it is, only works six months. In which case, then the formula is, basically, this is a job for somebody who really only, who really is looking for this gig where they only work six months a year. Or does it require that there be full-time employees because this has to, has to, it takes 11 months to prep for it to run in, the, in, in October? That's a great question. And whilst, yes, for the large part, six months a year is achievable, inevitably there's always people making contact and stuff um, out of season, people with tickets that they didn't use or things like that. And whilst you can automate a lot of social media now, the um, obviously the ball court is forever changing. So you can schedule all these posts and then suddenly it's... Uh, it's all inaccurate information. So in theory, yes, we could do it exclusively for six months. I don't know if that would be detrimental to the brand though. So, and maybe it would, but you know, tough. Um, it's, an, it's all in service of a higher, um, a higher purpose, um, which is, can you live the life you have? In other words, the, the general approach, the first one I would try, we'll come back in a minute to how do you do the cultural piece the other way. The first thing I'd be looking at, is there a way for me to structure this business in a way that um, everyone works six months? Or most of us work six months. And then what you're doing is saying, I'm hiring for that. And rather than saying, rather than having this thing where, oh my gosh, I have to lay people off and now I've got to go about finding people again who actually understand what's going on. You go, no, this is, we're going to find people for who share my sense of values, which is, I don't want to be working um, all year. And they can structure it. You can have your employees structure it the way you want. I mean, you could say, for example, this is a 12-month gig where six months of it is going to be 50-hour uh, weeks. And six months of it is going to be 10-hour weeks. Um, and those six months, this one six months, I need you to live, uh, come to the office because we're going to be going, maybe it's even, it ramps up, maybe they're 70 hour weeks for the last two months of the summer. Um, and the rest of the six months, I don't care where you are, but you're going to have things to do to keep the, in other words, you st start from scratch saying, knowing what I know now about this business, knowing what it takes, knowing the seasonality of it, knowing the things that have to be kept running, how would I design these jobs so that people could do them living the way I did, I do? And then you shift it around and say, I'm going to hire for that. And maybe I'm wrong, but I suspect it would not be hard, especially after the last two years where everyone's gotten a taste of this working remote thing to find people who would love nothing more than know that I can go live in Tahiti um, for the, get, I can get, get out of the UK uh, in the winter and go live in Tahiti and know that when I come back in April or May, 
I have a job and that I'm not, don't have to, don't have to basically live, work an entry level job my whole life. So one approach. Um, and if you can structure it that way, then you've aligned it all. Um, there is a company and gosh, I may get this entirely wrong. I think it's Expensify. Um, which has this policy of the entire company goes and works remote for, I think it's a month. Uh, and everyone goes, all the employees, including spouses and kids and family, and they go to some different part of the world every year and they work remote for the month. And they make that work because people actually see that as a huge perk to get to live in different parts of the world, but yet still have the intellectual engagement not to mention the paycheck um, of a real job. Okay, so that's kind of Mark's advice number one, and see if you can set this up in a way that people are all dug in. And perhaps, yes, you may have one person who says, no, I'm totally content. I can't leave, you know, my wife or my husband, um, my partner is uh, here, I can't take off. That's fine. And they, they, they do work um, the 12 months a year. And certainly you've probably figured out ways to stay in touch sufficiently um, to keep that going. But I guess the key is setting the expectations at the beginning that this is not a normal job where the uh, head of the company goes absent. This is a, a job which has been built for people who want to have a life and uh, we all enjoy the fact that we can take four to six months off a year and, um, and go skiing. Um, so that's number one. That, let, let's, let's talk for a second about the, um, the second piece. Uh, and my question, which is how do you say, no, I'm going to have regular employees and I'm going to be gone. Uh, how long have the people who work for you, have they worked for you? <laughs> I'm, I'm starting from scratch so I've, I'm really lucky in that aspect that I've got the chance to sort of build this culture from from the ground up so from day one it's kind of up to me which way I go with it which is great so um the challenge of course and this is something I've said many times before on this podcast and elsewhere is that when it comes to culture unfortunately culture oh, fortunately or unfortunately I'm not sure Culturally, think, culture is observational um, rather than aspirational, as I say. In other words, that the way you impart culture is people watching you and seeing how you behave, how you treat your vendors, how you treat your employees, how you treat your customers, how you make decisions, how you make trade-offs. Uh, and by watching you, that sends the message about what is the culture, as opposed to read this little culture deck that I wrote and behave that way. Um, yeah. That doesn't work so well. And so to the degree that you say, I want to have this culture and I want to really have it be consistent and have it be a certain way, even though I'm not going to be there, in that case, the cleverness um, has to go into how do I make sure people see this and understand this? Um, and let me ask you a question to back up a little bit. So when you're gone for your uh, uh, walkabout, um, do you work at all? Do you call in? Do you check in on things? Um, 
Or uh, you shut every time... is it called completely fallow? No, I can I do like to stay in touch. Um and I think that would be really important with bringing the team on board as well. So it's funny that the first suggestion that you were saying about is something I've really strongly considered. Um and kind of having a keep in touch day or or two days a week where we're all I guess remotely working, but we're all working. Um is great until there's a powder day or the the surf swells up or <laughs> um which is the only time that I'd kind of probably move away from that slightly but yes the um the maintaining uh contact would be really important and I think it's good for me as well to stay engaged with what's going on um f- for myself more than anything to stay a bit uh uh, within the business, I suppose. It's hard to get complete separation, I think. So I'll give you... Um, so first of all, I, I think this is entirely doable. I really do. And uh, you, you need to you need to do this. And I don't just mean for your own well-being. You have to be the poster child that this is possible. I mean, so many messages get sent that are the opposite, that you've got to work and you've got to get a job. And especially here in the United States, where we have this obscene uh, policy of two two weeks of vacation a year, that is just nuts. Um, But even, you know, even in, uh, you know, I guess UK is four weeks, uh, Germany is five, Italy or France, sometimes six. Even that, you know, listen, you're getting 26. So, Mm -hmm. gosh, you got to show everyone it is possible to do it. So I'm rooting for you and it is possible. So culturally... The way to make that work is um, you have to build a culture where you are not the decision maker. You have to build a culture where you are not the person who does everything. Because obviously, then if you're going to be the decision maker, you better be around to make decisions. If you're going to approve stuff, you better be around to approve it. If you are a critical path, you have to be around to be the critical path. Normally, the other thing I lay on people when I'm talking about culture, besides the it's observational, so people are going to watch how you do it, is that culture is personal, that it is not one size fits all. So it's extremely rare that I tell someone, here's a kind of culture that if you're going to make what you want to make happen, happen, you have to do it this way. But I have to do it in this case. It will only work with you gone so much is if you figure out a culture that does not depend on you being part of the process. And I happen to know of a company which actually works like that. Uh, it rhymes with Betflix. And for a, we've, for, for a long time, that company has set itself up that, as I've also said before, where the role of a manager, whether that's the CEO all the way down to even a line manager, is basically these two things, which is are the right people in the right seats? And do all these people have all the information and context to make their own good decisions? Noticeably absent from that description is make decisions. Noticeably absent from that description is check on the decisions they're making. No, if you have the right people who have good judgment, 
and you give them all the information they need about what your objectives are, about how this needs to work, about what's important, about what the competition is doing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, they're empowered to make their own decisions and they're closest to the things they have to make decisions about. And they can do that. And that does not require constant check-in. It allows people to work independently. And it has this additional benefit besides freeing up the CEO of the company from having to be engaged in every single decision, it puts the decision-making closest to the customer. It puts the decision-making closest to the information required to make that decision. And in Netflix's case, that largely comes down, for example, what comes down to things like approving which movies get made, what television series get bought. And that's not being made by the CEO or the head of content or the head of contents, directors of content. It's way, way down. They're empowered to make decisions. And the last little piece on this is that, you know, Reed Hastings, who's the current uh, CEO, co-CEO of Netflix, you know, he has this basically objective of himself, which is how long can he go without making a decision? And it's measured in weeks you know, five weeks, six weeks without making a decision. Because not only does that allow him to free up to be thinking about more long-term strategic issues or leave, but it also tells him he's doing an effective job about having the right people in the right seats and giving them all the information and context they need to make decisions. So in your case, as you're building this culture, it's going to have to be something that does come naturally to you because you're not going to be able to fake it. But if you begin to say, I'm hiring someone not to do my bidding, not for me to tell them, here's how to do it and check in with me. And when you get to something tricky, I'll make a decision. No, you've got to pick someone who has the judgment and the trust that you think I can empower this person to do these certain areas I need done. And we're going to be clear on what the objectives are, and I'm going to leave them alone. I'm going to check in, but you're going to check in every 10 days, every week, every two weeks. And listen, if there's an emergency, for God's sake, you're not like, you're not going to be in, you know, off the grid for uh, trekking to Antarctica. Well, maybe you are. Well, if you are, bring a sat phone. But in other words, this is not like you're you're going. I don't. I don't. I'm going to the bottom of the ocean for six months. If a real crisis, yeah, call me for God's sake. But let's see how long we can go without uh, me having to make a decision for you. In other words, mm. you can do this. I really yeah. think you can do this, Matt. Um, and uh, you have you have to do it for all of us who uh, work fifty grueling weeks a year in order to get our time off. I mean, listen, I've, I will say I'm one of the amazingly lucky people. So I count my blessings every single day that I, you know, for the last 15 years, 20 years, I've had a lot of control over my life like you, and I can go off for two weeks and stuff like that. But I want everybody to have that. Um, I want people who are in their twenties and their thirties to be able to do that. I want people who are, you know, to take their, Screw it. Take your kids, take your husband, take your wife. You know, I, the best things I ever did pretty much as a person, as a family, is my wife and I lived in Paris for a year and a half. Then we took our whole family and we lived in Italy, um, you know, for a year and a half. Oh, yeah, I, the one in Paris, I had a job. In other words, I love what you're doing and I really want you to succeed at it. Thank you. And 
You know what scares me is those $250 a day lift tickets. Now that scares me. So uh, if you could figure out a way to import that back to your, uh, your thing, you would, you would have a winner. <laughs> so Matt, am I, off, sure. I, am I on base here? Am I, uh, does this make any sense? Am I just spouting off or do you think this actually is something you can, uh, you can pull off? It definitely sounds like something I can pull off. In fact, um, the stuff that you said later on about empowering people is something that's already immersed in the, what I'd call the live event culture already. Uh, in that we've got some amazing uh, members of the team who I just, when we're live, my job is to stand at the bar <laughs> and and stuff happens and I don't even know that it's happened. And, and, you know, there's been an incident, first aid security have been, it's been logged. I've had nothing to do with it. And someone says to me, oh, did you hear about that? No, not a clue. So that that's... That's actually really encouraging because I know how to do that. I know how to separate myself from the uh, the immediate decision making. Um, so yeah, that's certainly transferable. And what's really cool is that by staying away for two weeks, rather than abdicate, abdicating some responsibility for culture, which is almost what you were saying at the beginning, you're not. You're reinforcing the culture. You are observational. You're saying this culture is built on trust. This culture is built on empowerment. And I'm going to demonstrate that that's not just bullshit. That's not just a poster in the break room. I'm going to demonstrate that we really do believe in trust and empowerment. I'm going to be gone for two weeks. It's, it's, it's a perfect, uh, a perfect fit and a perfect win. You can be consistent. And you can go surfing and skiing at the same time. And wow, that is a, uh, a win-win. It's exciting. All right, Matt, you've got a, a, you know, normally I say I want to check in with someone in six months or so, but no, no, this takes a bit longer for you. You have to go through a cycle or two before we, uh, we get a chance to check back in and tell me uh, how this worked. Tell me what the anxiety levels were like when you were, uh, off the grid, watching someone else uh, making decisions on your behalf. Um, and tell me how it felt when you came back and all of a sudden were in somebody's grill uh, after they'd been uh, empowered to make decisions and now you had to step back even though you were right there in the next room. Lots of stuff for us to dissect when we talk again. I'm excited. I'm really excited. And so the last thing, just to make sure I really can go away from this thing feeling nauseous, where are you off to next? Uh, unfortunately, I'm nearly done. So I'm, I'm hanging around in the French Alps for another week. And then uh, I've got to get back. I've got a, a family commitment to get to. So, and do you surf part of the time too? Or is no, that just no, you just twist that off? I think oh, that's okay. going to be next next winter. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, pretty soon you're going to be down to, Mark, I'd like to spend maybe three weeks back in the UK. All right, before, right. And then I'm going to, I'm back out again. All right. Yeah, Listen, sure. Matt, thanks so much for, for taking the time to chat with me about this. Good luck um, and uh, show us all it's possible. And that would be a huge contribution to mankind. For sure. And thank you very much to you and your team for all of this information <laughs> you're giving me for free. It's been awesome. My pleasure, Matt. All right. We'll check in later. Bye-bye now. Thank you. Bye-bye. Wow. Who wouldn't want that? A chance to build and run a real business and have six months to ski every year. Sign me up. If you liked what you heard today, 
take a minute to subscribe so you don't miss a single weekly episode. If you've got a business problem you're struggling with and would like to join me on the show, simply come to markrandolph.com forward slash guest to apply. If you enjoy hearing about the topics in the show, why not read the book that inspired it? The paperback edition of That Will Never Work, The Birth of Netflix and the Amazing Life of an Idea is out now for purchase online and in all good bookstores. And did you know there's also a video version of what you heard today? Check it out at YouTube forward slash Mark Randolph. There's new episodes every Tuesday. And finally, if you'd like to get my entrepreneurial tips in short form, follow me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and yes, even TikTok. group.